if you put a gun in my head and said you have to choose one place now, probably it would be Tuscany. I love Tuscany. People are so friendly. I love their little towns. I love their windy little streets. Obviously, Italian food and just the vibe of the people, how friendly and sociable and exciting and how they joke and laugh. It's, it, that's my vibe. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have a very special guest today. And when I met him in London recently at the Global Woman Summit, I took the opportunity because I had read that he had just started his own podcast and I had read about it and I thought I'd love to ask him if he would be my guest. And he actually said, yes. And when I started preparing for this episode, I thought, what was I thinking? What is this man going to think about my interview knowledge? But here we go. He is the senior presenter of Al Jazeera English. He's a news anchor, reporter, media trainer, communication coach. He has a quarter of a century of experience in training, teaching and practicing journalism. And he has trained anchors and reporters and producers at Al Jazeera, CNBC and NBC. And he has interviewed many, many important legends, world leaders, and so on. We're going to talk about this a little later. But for now, Sami Saidan, welcome to Most Memorable Journeys. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course I said yes. How can I say no to somebody who's got such a warm, positive spirit as yourself? I'm delighted to be here, Elizabeth. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how, we'll see what you think at the end of this interview, because um, I don't have 25 years experience in journalism. So let's see. Question that I ask most of my people, because this is a travel po podcast. We talk about journeys, life journeys and most memorable journeys. How old were you when you were on a plane for the first time? Well, I don't know because I grew up flying. So my earliest childhood memories go back to memories of being in a plane. In fact, my mother has a joke that she says, uh, you were almost born on a plane. Oh, wow. So, traveling. I still got the travel bug. I love to travel today. I love going to different countries, meeting people, learning their languages and cultures. So... Yeah, I feel, you know what? I feel like a plane is kind of like a spa for me. You know how people go to the spa to relax? That's honestly how I feel when I get on a plane. And I know that sounds maybe crazy to some people. Not like, at all. It doesn't sound crazy to me at all. Go on. <laughs> yeah, well, you and I maybe uh, have the travel bug, you know, but uh, often I speak to people and they say, don't you get tired from so much traveling? I say, no, quite the contrary. I find it energizing, exciting. You know, it's a big world out there. Why would I want to stay locked down in one place? That is so true. And, uh, you know, in, my, in the um, introductory episode in this uh, podcast, I say that my favorite smell is airplane kerosene. I think that's, that sums it all up. I guess we both agree on that. And yes. And uh, no, I love traveling and I have learned uh, because I was a tour guide when I was young and traveled a lot there and I've lived in many countries and I have learned one thing is traveling makes you humble. True, true. And allows you to see reality from a different perspective, I think. Don't you feel that way? Like when I'm up on a plane and I look out the window, it's such an experience to look down on the 
all the whole world and you think there's all my little worries and concerns and pursuits and they look so tiny from up here like it gives you a different perspective on reality and life and the journey as you say yeah and you know another thing that you don't see from up there you don't see borders there are no True. borders so um and this is i think especially um for the area that you work in and that you report from mostly um, my neighborhood, because I am here in Cyprus. I am very, very far down in the Eastern Mediterranean and I'm very close to the Middle East. And in my world, I believe that with all the traveling that I've done and all the people that I have met, we are all the same. We all have the same needs. We all have the same worries. We all want to be happy and safe. So, um, you know, what's wrong with the world? Because you yeah. you hear a lot. You you uh, that's uh, I'm mixing up my questions already. This, but this is, doesn't matter. You know, like when you read your your news and when you have this headline and and it's terrible. I mean, don't you ever think what is wrong with this world? Oh my God! Don't get me started. Do I think about that? I go home feeling sometimes overwhelmed by it and the sort of things that you see as a journalist as well. I mean, it's a great job, don't get me wrong. It's a great privilege to be a journalist who can travel and see and meet people firsthand. But yeah, totally, of course. We ask the question, you know, why, why is human nature like this? And I think it's the pursuit of what we see as our individual interests at the expense of others. I think that's what it often comes down to. People will pursue what they see as their exclusive interest that must be pursued, no matter what it costs other people. When you have that sort of me against the rest and me first mentality, I think that's what a lot of it comes down to. And people don't realize how unimportant we are, how quickly we can be gone or replaced. I think people, don't you think that people take themselves far too seriously sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think about that quite often today. I was thinking about that. I, you know, you spend your life. What do you do with your life? You know, I had this moment where I was just today standing in the newsroom and I had that thought and a colleague came up to me and said, what, what are you doing? I said, I'm just standing reflecting on life. She probably walked off thinking I'm a bit crazy, but <laughs> you, know, like, you know, you, you spend your time in this world. We actually have a very short time, each of us. And there's a, a lot of focus, a lot of us have a lot of focus on amassing things, which you, I mean, you know, it's going to go, you know, you it's going to pass, you're leaving it, you know, I think the experience and the process is much more important than actually what you do with, or how much you get, it's what you do with it rather than how much you amass. And I've had that kind of it's interesting now we're going deep i didn't know we we're going to go i'm, I'm enjoying I want to it go deep. yeah you you see yeah i'm surprising you you are i thought this is going to just be a chat about oh where's your favorite places in the world and what's your that's favorite coming. That, that's coming too <laughs> oh this is deep off the bat i like it okay so i remember as a kid here's let me share with you a childhood experience i was on a, a train i remember as a kid and somebody came in the carriage and was was shouting that um, somebody, a famous, a famous person had been killed. And 
nobody kind of moved. He was disturbed by this news, and nobody kind of said anything or did everything because everybody was focused on like getting to work and you know the kind of things that we as human beings are. And I remember as a kid thinking to myself, "What is the point? Why are we so focused on the mechanics of life?" And there, there is a a significant person who meant something, at least to this one guy who was on the train that was disturbed, um, who's just left this world, you know? And yet I felt like we are, in a sense, sometimes like mice on the wheel. We're all heading towards his end. We all know it's coming, and yet we're just going through the mechanics of life sometimes without thinking meaningfully about what is the, the meaning and the point and the purpose of what I do with the gift of life I've been given, rather than only being focused on the mechanics, you know? So I don't know if you've touched something in me now and all of this is coming out. So yeah, I do think about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, because you were, you know what you're just saying about being a kid on that train, because that was your unconditioned childish mind. And later on, we are told you know, in the first six, seven years of our lives, we just download, we we have an empty hard disk, and then we are conditioned and we are told how important it is to be rich and how important it is to be important. Mm-hmm. Well, how important it is to, I don't know, become this and that. And I think, unfortunately, um, our conditioning sometimes doesn't help us. And, you know, there is this meme that I like a lot, it, it, which says, um, nobody is ever going to say at your funeral that you had a nice sofa. You know, and I think it's very important that we sit down once in a while and actually think, what would we like to hear when we get to this point? You know, when we're there in the box and what what, what do you want people to say about us? Right. And what's your legacy that you're leaving behind? And what was the meaning? And was it meaningful and purposeful? I, I, I agree. Absolutely. We are conditioned. You're told how to, what to focus on. And... I remember the moment as a kid when I first found out that everybody's going to die. I remember the shock that went through my mind. And I remember trying to talk to people about it because I was quite traumatized. I thought, I thought we live forever. I thought, you know, this death just happens if you're unlucky and have an accident or something. And um, you're right. We are conditioned. You're told things like, okay, don't worry. Don't focus on that. Just think about what you do in life. And think about what you do in life has been, you know, just focus on getting good grades, getting a good job, um, making a good home, you know, enjoying. And that's all you should focus on. Don't let your mind drift into what is the meaning of this? What's the Mm. purpose? What are you doing? No, no, no. That's a distraction, young Sammy. Just focus on, you know, you need to achieve material things and that is success and you need to succeed. And that is how success is defined, you know. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I, I believe, I'm a strong believer that mindfulness and meditation and some of that stuff should be taught at school. And it has nothing to do with, you know, teaching children to be to become hippies or something. It's just to help people become a little bit more relaxed about life. But um, I now want to go back to you because now we've gone deep. But how did you choose journalism? What made you become a journalist? Well, actually, when I think of it, journalism was something that I had got into when I was a teenager. But I hadn't thought of it as a career or a job. It was a passion. And it became like a hobby and a passion. What drove me to it was... I was disturbed by some of the stuff 
that I was reading in local papers and how stories were sometimes covered, particularly as it related to you know, the non-mainstream people and cultures. And maybe because of my background being quite ethnically mixed myself and also that I had lived in so many countries, I had a different perspective than what I would sometimes read in the mainstream media and papers and how cultures and peoples and religions were sometimes kind of characterized. So I started phoning local newspapers and asking them if I could contribute to stories or if I could write something for them. And I, that was really my beginning with journalism. It wasn't really out of, um, you know, it wasn't because I wanted to be a journalist as a career or a job. It was more that I felt a calling and a passion and a connection with communication and what, how we present each other. And like you said, you know, when you said that you, you look when you travel and you think how we're all the same, that was my perspective. And I didn't often find that reflected always in the media. There was a lot of us versus them and this kind of narrative and sometimes stereotyping. So that was how I got into journalism and it kind of just mushroomed from there. So yeah, but that was, that was my beginning. It's really like a, a passion more than like a, a career decision. Well, it was definitely a very good decision because you turned into a fantastic journalist and 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 so much more. And um, you are a child of a mixed marriage, and and I am in a mixed marriage. I have two children who are half Swiss and half Cypriot, and um, we sometimes discuss this. You know, what are you? They were born here, but now they both live in Switzerland, and. Um, does it actually is it good or is it bad to be to be to be coming from different ethnicities? How do you feel about that? Well, first of all, I feel it's normal because everybody feels their situation normal. So it's difficult for me to look at it from the outside. You know what I mean? As a person who maybe is born in a more homogenous environment would look at me, I don't look with those eyes. When you're a kid. Whatever environment you are born into, you normalize it, and that becomes normal for you. This is the normal way of life in the world. And only when you start growing up and see and learning that people have a different perspective, then you contrast your normal, quote-unquote, with other people's perspectives. So for me, this is very normal and natural. I don't see boundaries between people. I guess for me, I see the different cultures as different shades of a common humanity rather than as boundaries between people. So that's, that's my world. I see it as very normal. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a very positive thing because in almost all countries I have been to, I don't feel afraid. I don't feel like I don't know these people. I don't feel distrustful towards people. I think my maybe my default position is a positive one of trust and understanding because I feel like I know something. I know at least something about almost everyone's cultures and or something about their language or something about their religion or something about their flaw or something. So because I was brought up in a you know sort of diverse environment. So I feel like I can relate to most people rather than to be afraid of, of people. 
So I think that's an enriching thing. I think it's a very liberating thing. It allows you to live in a much wider reality and context rather than limiting yourself to a national border, rather than seeing others as a source of fear, as a, as a threat. Mm. So from my perspective, it's very normal and it's very positive and it's a very enriching experience. And sometimes, you know what, Elizabeth, sometimes when you hear people say things, uh, how much concern they have about other people or make derogatory comments about other cultures, I kind of feel sorry. I just don't get it. Like, why, <laughs> why are you limiting yourself? And for sure, in every country, human beings are human beings. It's good and bad amongst us. And some of us are more selfish than the others. But I don't see that as, as a really, um, I don't see the negatives as something that pertains only to one people, to the others. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. And I also, it all goes back again to conditioning because no child is born a racist. You don't see a child on a playground not wanting to play with a child of another color. It's conditioning. It's what, it's what, what is said at home, you know, what is said later on. And um, when you have an unconditioned mind, and I feel exactly the same way like you do, I, you can send me anywhere. You can send me to, I don't know, or to Afghanistan, and I will be fine because I have this trust, you know, this feeling that people are going to be good to me. And um, you said a word before, and that word, important word, is fear. I think most people who are racists or who make comments or whatever they are, it's all lack of information, not understanding, again, that these people are the same, don't you think? Yeah, I think, uh, especially nowadays, I think fear is a big part of uh, prejudice and racism and exclusivism and uh, individualism. It's a fear either of the others or or others taking away something that we have or denying us of access to something that we have. Yeah, I think fear is something that's uh, sadly, is, you know, in some parts of the world, you feel it's rising. It's kind of driving the politics and the mm. sociological developments. I always call fear a dream killer because it stops you from experiencing so many beautiful things just because you are afraid and you don't dare to try something out. Absolutely. We're not always brought in, up in a situation, environment where people tell you, you know, go follow your dreams. Some people are, but sometimes you often get a message of, look, be realistic. You can't do this. Go do something else instead, you know, but yeah. Yeah. That's, a, you know, it's so easy to say, go follow your dreams. I mean, you know, especially some of us, like I'm, I'm in this business of uh, personal development and telling people to go follow their dreams. And I know how hard it is for some people to actually follow their dreams. Uh, it takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of, it's a lot of hardship and it's not always easy. Sometimes we say that a little bit too easily, that phrase. Well, it's hard, but don't you think sometimes if we're encouraged, we can do more than what we think we can do? Don't you think sometimes we limit ourselves a lot more than we need to? We do. Absolutely, we do. And personally, I believe that anything is possible. I have a very personal story as well that I'm not, that we're not that's not about this podcast, but I, I am a living proof that anything is possible. But it's fear. Not everybody has the has this. Is, is, is able to overstep these limiting beliefs. And I wish people, that's another thing it should be taught that's cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was listening today to a speech by Ronald Reagan. 
And I was just thinking of how much the discourse has changed, particularly in the US. And this is a very renowned Republican president. He was basically saying that. He was saying how lucky this generation is compared to the previous generation where you're kind of liberated from the war, from the fears of war. You know, you think about the generation that grew up in World War One and World War Two in the West. You know, war was a constant kind of uh, theme. And he was talking about how this generation is growing up in stability and peace and a lot of prosperity. So make sure, he said what the best advice somebody had given him when he was a young man and didn't know what he wanted to do was basically go follow your dream and pursue it. And no no matter how many doors are closed in your face, keep knocking because one will eventually open. So I think you're right that it, it is a hard process and maybe we... You know, we over-glamorize how easy it will be to follow your dreams. It is a hard process. There will be many doors which are closed, but maybe Ronald Reagan is right eventually to keep knocking. Oh, he's right. Yeah, he's definitely right. And I think comparing journalism as well, coming back to you, I did an interview with uh, Baria Alamuddin, who was a, who still is a journalist, in, in uh, and she came to Cyprus 50 years ago because she wanted to interview uh, Archbishop Makarios. And she didn't have an appointment and she was just, just sitting in a hotel in Nicosia being in touch with the presidential palace and she waited for about three days, but she insisted and she ended up getting an interview with Makarios. And, you know, I, I mean, when you think of that today, would you just go somewhere, Sammy, and and uh, call the presidential palace and say that you want to speak to the president and you're willing to wait for three days? I don't know if I would do that. That's a courageous uh, lady who deserves some recognition and respect for, you know, her persistence. Well done. You know, in my lifetime, how much technical stuff has changed. When I was a young tour guide, I used to get a telex. I don't know if you do. You know what a telex is? I've never used a telex, but I have heard of them. Right? And you send it. That's the old days. Yeah, and then no. we had a fax, you know, and I was fascinated that somebody could put the paper into one machine on the one side of the world and it would come out on the other side. And now all these things are in one small smartphone and anything is possible. I think that's another one to say that anything is possible. So Ronald Reagan is right. Definitely. I think technology is showing us that, right? But yeah. now we're talking on other sides of the world in, in real time. Now I want to... Still, it is a travel podcast. I want to ask you, what is your favorite area in the Middle East? That's a hard one. That's a hard one. Um, In the Middle East, got to say, probably I have a soft spot for Jerusalem. I love the old people of Jerusalem. I don't know, there would be a lot of places. Lebanon used to be, you know, before all the instability. The downtown area of Beirut was Solidaire was was beautiful, very beautiful place. There are pockets of it all over the Middle East. It's difficult just to narrow it down. And I like to travel. I like to go different places, you know. So it's hard. It's like asking me, Sammy, you have to limit yourself to one favorite color or one favorite flavor. I like them all. I think it's (laughs) a stupid question, but I ask it anyway. I totally agree with you. It's impossible to limit yourself. And and, I, and Lebanon, I, I am a 20 minutes flight away from Lebanon here in, in Cyprus. And it, I, we used to go to Lebanon all the time. Of course, now we can't. So, yeah, beautiful. 
where, where do you go on holidays, for example? Where would you choose to go on holidays if you could choose now just to leave tomorrow? Well, where would I go or where do I go? I go a lot Bosnia. I love Bosnia. I fell in love with, with that country. Head over heels, love at first sight. Whoever says love at first sight doesn't exist hasn't seen me in Bosnia. I just was completely spellbound from the second I got off the plane and breathed in all the oxygen and the, the, the culture and the vibe of the place. So as I say, I'm a Bosnaholic who's not looking for a mission. I'm happy with my addiction. But other than that, where would I go? Gosh, there's so many beautiful places that I would love to go, uh, you know, places I have gone. I don't know if I, again, if I could narrow it down just to one place. There's places I haven't gone yet in my life, which have some attraction for me simply because I haven't gone there yet. I don't know how I will find it when I when I do go. But for example, I haven't been to Vietnam and I would be interested to go and see Vietnam because um, I, I love history and and I'm very, you know, I obviously, I follow politics a lot and that's a very important country in terms of modern history and politics, you know. Yes. So I'm kind of intrigued. That's one of the places that I would like to to go and experience their culture and their history and what they've gone through and how their society has developed. I, I, there's so many beautiful places, isn't there? I, there gosh. is. Yeah, a lot of things have gone wrong in Vietnam. So, yeah, that is definitely an, a country of historic importance. And I have been to Vietnam. I can highly recommend you going there. And uh, I agree with Bosnia. I absolutely love Bosnia. I told you that I river rafted from Montenegro into Bosnia. And, and whenever I fly home to Switzerland from here and I look down at the forest, I can I feel like I'm on this plane and I can smell the, the forest of Bosnia. Right. You feel like, do you feel like you want to jump off the plane because you feel like all the trees would just give you a hug if you land? Obviously yes. you can't do that. Yes. Not encouraging. Do not jump off of planes, guys, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's not encouraging the thing. You know what? I have to say, if I had to choose one place, other than, you know, London is home for me, obviously, and my addiction to Bosnia, but Italy. I love Italy. Oh, my God. If you put a gun in my head and said you have to choose one place now, probably it would be Tuscany. I love Tuscany. People are so friendly. I love their little towns. I love their windy little streets. Obviously, Italian food and just the vibe of the people, how friendly and sociable and exciting and how they joke and laugh. It's, it, that's my vibe. You know? So Italy would be up there. Spain as well. I you don't see, know. once you start thinking, there is so much yeah, coming out. Yeah. <laughs> you say, choose one place, I'll give you three at least. Yeah. <laughs> And why limit it? And I totally agree with you with Italy as well. And I always say that Italian men are the only men who still flirt with women my age. So uh, I love <laughs> Italy too. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you have interviewed people like President Nelson Mandela. You have interviewed Benazir Bhutto, Hugo Chavez. Is there somebody in the world, like you were saying now, as a country that you would want to go to and haven't been, um, is there somebody in the world that you would like to talk to or interview that you haven't done yet? Is there a dream uh, interview partner? Mm, I would like to interview Barack Obama. No, never interviewed him. I think he's an interesting person because of his background and what he went through and how his policies evolved from the beginning of his administration to the end of his administration. 
a lot of evolution. I think he started out with a lot of idealism. I think he started out, he started from a point, let's say a difficult point in terms of the global, um, how do I put this? I think the global temperament in the end of the Bush era was very, let's say it was a very heavy time, wasn't it? On mm-hmm. the global continent. And he started from that point and he wanted to change things radically and so different. So he's an interesting figure for me, you know, of how he came into office and the, some of the policies and things and goals he wanted to achieve and didn't, of course, get to do everything he wanted. But I think that evolution and that process, that's kind of fascinating for me. At least I'd like to have a discussion with him, even over a cup of coffee. There are a few people like that, that, uh, you know, Nelson Mandela is definitely one of those people that when you speak with him, you feel like you're talking to a real human being, not a politician with rehearsed lines who's got his talking points and he's been trained in how to speak and answer questions and deflect to his key messages. But you feel like this is a real human being sharing He's giving you his perspective that was formed in very unique circumstances that not many of us have lived through, you know? And those are the kinds of people that really, I think, touch you, touch your heart. Isn't that beautiful? And one thing that I have learned in my life is that the people with the biggest stories or the the real famous, sometimes real famous people or what important people, what you want to call them, they are usually very often the nicest. And people who think that they have, I don't know, maybe because they have some money or because of, I don't know, they have a big car, they can be very rude. Have you experienced that? Yes, definitely. And when you find somebody who's come from a very, let's say, difficult point in their life to what we would call, you know, a major point of success, I think that journey and it's not only politicians. This is okay. Here's another one I would like to interview. And she's a singer. Oh my God, what's happening to my memory? She's the one who sings, uh, Still the one that I love, the only one I dream of. Do you know who I'm talking about? I do, but I can't tell Forgive you. My singing is not that good. I love, I mean, this, this is what oh I, all I wished for that Sammy would sing on my podcast. <laughs> you might have to edit that out. I'm not I sure will not. I want to hear that. Um, I think I will edit anything you want, but not this one. But uh, <laughs> this this was gorgeous. No I, don't know. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to sing today either. Shania Twain, that was it. And you know why? Because I heard about her story and she came from, you know, a very economically deprived situation at the beginning of her life. And she told a story about how I think she, uh, when she was a kid, she would sometimes feel embarrassed to go to school because they didn't have money to buy, you know, nicer clothes and things. And I thought, wow, that's, can you imagine going from that to being a superstar? It's people with, with stories that that's what really interests me. And that I think they have a lot to share that we can listen to and learn from, you know, the, the, the experience and the message that they've gone through. You know, we met people at the Global Women's Summit. was full of people like that. It was such a fascinating story. And um, 
I interviewed a few ladies just for my Instagram page, which, by the way, can I plug it? Everybody, it's zaydan.sammy. Look me up on Instagram, please, and subscribe to my podcast. Yeah, I was gonna, that's my next thing. Don't start. This is my line. All right. So, <laughs> you know, met a lot of ladies with remarkable stories, women who had overcome incredible challenges in life. You know, uh, a survivor of domestic violence, attempted suicide, and then cancer. And then on top of that, went on to make a, a, a roaring success of her life. You know, remarkable stories. So, yeah. Those are the beautiful stories. And this is why I love what I'm doing with the, with, with the Global Woman Club, because, you know, at, at the end of the day, everybody has a story. And those stories, those real hard stories, I think it's very important that we tell them because your story may be somebody else's survival guide. And when you tell your story and, and somebody feels like, oh, my God, she's, she's actually talking about me. And that can help a lot. And I am very aware of the time, Sami Seydan. I know that you are a busy man, but I want to mention your podcast, Essential Middle East, which goes live every Thursday and you are into episode nine. Why would people listen to your podcast? Well, I think, first of all, they'll hopefully find it's an interesting conversation. And second of all, I think we're pretty much the only podcast that focuses and breaks down trends that are going on in the Middle East. So if you're curious, you're interested in one of the most diverse spots on earth, and you probably know this, Elizabeth, Everything is in the Middle East, whether you're talking philosophies, religions, cuisine, philosophies, cultures, terrain, weather. It's such a diverse part of the world, which I think has something to offer everyone. Then listen to my podcast, please, guys. I absolutely agree with you. I love the Middle East. I love everything about the Middle East. I love the, the culture, the food, the colors, the people, and I wish there was no politics and I wish there were no borders because it could be just paradise around me here where I am. I think we're going to end it here. Uh, any last words? Any last advice? I don't know about last advice, but uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Elizabeth. Thank you for inviting me on. And I hope that I've said something positive, something that brings some benefit to people because that's all you have been wonderful thank you so much for being on most memorable journeys sammy Seydan. thank you if you enjoy my podcast please like share and subscribe to my channel you will find all the information in the show notes <laughs>